Welcome everyone to the new, and dare I say, improved series of Red Dwarf Shuffle. In this episode, we begin our journey through series two of Red Dwarf with its first episode that stars everyone's favorite mechanoid for the first time with everyone's second favorite actor playing him. David Ross introduces us to the neurotic robot servant who will eventually win our hearts. But will this episode be a dud or will it be a cry ton of fun? Find out now! Right, son of fun. I liked it. That was a great, uh, great pun, Jace. I should have said, uh, will this episode be a crisis <laughs> or a uh, crichton of fun? You can't go back now, unfortunately. No, no, you can't. I actually think there is a, a episode much later on called Crisis or something. I haven't seen it, but I think it's about Crichton having a midlife crisis. Or maybe you could get that soundbite from The Simpsons when he's doing classic Krusty. He's like, it depends on what you mean by crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got classic Crichton on on this one. Oh. But perhaps not classic Crichton. This is more of the uh, classic as in the first one, Crichton. Uh, David Ross is playing uh, Crichton and we're in series two of Red Dwarf. You uh, you could actually call him um, the classical Crichton because he's a little bit more of a thespian style, which means more of a theatre actor mm. than uh, Robert Llewellyn is in the later series. He also dresses like someone who uh, goes to the theatre. Well, you know, in like a spandex version. Or to um, latex bondage sessions or something. Maybe fetish, fetish club. Rimmer does say the word gimp in this episode. And, he does. Uh, it's actually used in the wrong context, I feel. But uh, maybe I don't know as much about gimps. Maybe they do ride space bikes or bicycles. Uh, I myself think it would be rather uncomfortable to do so. <laughs> Alex, what's what's been going on with you this week? We'll keep this bit short, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a short one because I can't say that I've really done much of any interest lately. Um, what I would say is I've been watching The Godfather with the wife. Godfather, Godfather 2, we started that, but it's a long movie, so you've got to break it up if you can. Both movies, though, have lived up to their excellent reputation. Uh, really, really great. And actually, um, funny we should mention that because uh, there is a Marlon Brando situation going on in this episode of Red Dwarf as well. What do they call that? A serendipity or synchronicity? Uh, synchronicity. I think serendipity is a, uh, accepting things that you you can't control in life. Ah. In a sense, uh, this episode is a bit about serendipity for Crichton. It's a, well, maybe for Rimmer, because he suddenly finds out what he can't control by the end of it. So, uh, I, I personally, I've got absolutely <laughs> nothing, nothing to say for the last two weeks. You'd think I'd just been sat down. <laughs> just- Would you like a medal or an admiral's costume and I'll paint you on the toilet? Yeah, yeah. that'll be good. I'll be good with any, any of those things, really. Uh, you know, maybe not the painting, because I don't think you've got the skill set to paint me on the toilet. No, I don't. Nah, it would come out pretty rubbish. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, but we could sell it for charity and, you know, 
maybe make some money for people. If we sell it at Malaga Marketplace. Yeah, you don't like that uh, Malaga Market, do you? No, I love Malaga Market. I just... We do have a, a market like that near us, the, the Lavo Market. It's no Footscray Market, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly not. You don't go there. Ex- don't go there expecting the Queen Victoria Market experience. Uh, tourists to Melbourne? No, not at all. Um, you you will not get that. Uh, you might get a midnight meat market uh, experience, which I think is a Clive Barker book, isn't it? Books of Blood stories about the midnight meat train. Midnight meat market. It's triple M. Triple M. Anywho. So, uh, yeah, I've got, I've done absolutely nothing. I've just sat down, basically. You know, I watched the football yesterday, but I'm, I'm sure everyone's getting sick of me talking about football. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Barbie came out. I didn't watch it. I don't want to watch it. I'm not interested in Barbie, but the controversy around the movie is quite funny to see. Uh, ben Shapiro's had a lot of um, things to say, apparently, but uh, I won't be watching that. Of course, because I won't be able to understand it unless I slow it down to <laughs> 0.5 of the normal speed. Yeah, and I, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't know enough about. I never played Barbie as a child, so I've got no idea what I'd have, you know, what the plot would be about or any of the characters. Well, you did get a Ken doll once, uh, thinking it was an action man toy. <laughs> I remember one Christmas you got a Ken doll instead. <laughs> Who gave me that? It's got to be Nano and Grandad. Ah, uh, someone who mistook Action Man for Kendall. Can be easily done. Well, I'd say the writing on the box, not being a bubble wrap pink Ken. <laughs> you think that would it be a might, giveaway? It might reveal the truth about that particular um, doll. <laughs> yes, perhaps... Perhaps. So yeah, I don't watch. Don't watch Barbie. Uh, don't want to watch Oppenheimer. <laughs> no. You, what would be better is if you listen to the last podcast on the left. Do uh, oh, their, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, take on it, Dan. Dan Collins' um, stuff about the bomb. Of course, that's good as well. He would be fantastic to read out some of the the lines in this episode of Red the Wolf. My favorite one is that I'm in a garden. I've never even seen a garden except in books. And I've planted everything and made it grow. It's my garden. (laughs) And there's no one there except me. Just me and all the things I've made live. Now Crichton goes on to say he thinks that's silly. Considering the circumstances, perhaps his outfit is more silly than what he's just said. That's excellent, Jason. Yeah, that is exactly, that's spot on, mate. Yeah. Okay, we should get into the episode now, I feel. We should. Series two is uh, a little bit different to series one. So if you were sick of navy grey and military grey, or whatever that second grey was, uh, you're not going to see that much grey in Red Dwarf anymore because there's a great deal more colour as this episode starts. It was ocean grey, Jason. But uh, yeah, you are right. Yeah, there's, well, the quality of the sets in general have really vamped up, you know, from the first series. Uh, everything looks a lot more colourful. We will start with the little Holly joke in the distress signal. He says, as they've been travelling, it has become more and more apparent that they live in a godless, uh, meaningless universe. Still, you've got to laugh, haven't you? I actually think that's really... Uh 
good advice. Uh, it is good advice. You got to laugh. It's the only way to get through things, really. Mm-hmm. I really like the new music for Holly's intro. It a little bit more intense than it was in the first series, and it was already quite intense. Uh, the effects uh, are far better, and we see that immediately after Holly's intro because we see a derelict spacecraft on a dead-looking moon. It's actually great, like this little scene of the uh, the Nova 5, which is the name of the spaceship. It's spooky-looking, and we zoom in. There's tense music in the background, and then we find that we're in a... Uh, a kitchen, I think it's a kitchen, and there's someone sat mm-hmm. down in a seat uh, watching a soap opera known as Androids while eating from a box of chocolates. Oh, no, I think he's actually, isn't he smoking a cigar or something? No, he's, he's eating chocolates, I think. He's, he's doing something that robots shouldn't. Can he? Well, that's, that's what he seems to be doing. He's got a box of chocolates next to him. Is that right? Oh, I, I missed that. I don't know how I missed that. It would make more sense if he was eating chocolates, watching the soap proper <laughs> smoking a cigar. I guess I guess so. I don't know why I've got that memory in my head, but um, the melodrama he's watching on TV is uh, a clear parody of a show called Neighbours, which is um, an Australian soap opera. It's been around for a long time, and it was very popular in England. In the same way, the show has Australian-sounding androids and it also has like a parody of the theme song of Neighbours, which goes a little bit like, Androids, everybody needs good androids Because androids have feelings too So it's pretty cheesy. Do you remember the scene? What what happens in the scene on... Uh, so, Kelly, uh, who's a very Australian name, by the way, Kelly. Kelly is having an affair with Gary, and she's revealing this to Brooke, who is her, her partner. Um, and uh, Gary is Brooke's business rival. And Kelly reveals that Brooke Jr. is not Brooke's android. Oh, the accents are hilarious as well. <laughs> They're so funny. They're re- they really hammed it up. Gary, my business rival? What are you trying to tell me, Kelly? <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, um, as the credits are rolling, you can see that the characters of Kelly, Brooke, Junior, Brooke, and Gary, they're all played by Android 6142 and all their serial numbers. So they're, they're genuine androids, not people in costumes. And at the end, we get uh, a little title card saying uh, it's a Channel 27 production. And on it, uh, it said it was produced uh, by Kylie Gwendolyn. It's a satire of uh, Gareth Gwenlan, who uh, was the original, I think he was the TV commissioner that they pitched Red Dwarf to and it wasn't taken up. And in subsequent episodes, uh, we do see uh, here, rather, that um, they use the word Gwenlin as a as an insult in the future. <laughs> and they actually do that in this episode. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, flag that down when it happens. Yeah, so Kylie Gwenlin, the producer of Androids, the soap opera, is 
uh, a take on Gareth Gwenlan, the real uh, TV commissioner who refused the pitch of uh, Red Dwarf mm. initially. The real robot here who uh, couldn't yeah. see past his own programming to improve the programming of the BBC. Well, he, well he famously, he actually said, um, unless there is a sofa on this spacecraft, then it's not a sitcom. Can you think of any more dismissive thing to say? Close-minded. He might have been trying to make a shit joke. You, you do sit well, on the Yeah, sofa. I mean, you do in, in fucking Family Guy... But it, the Simpsons, obviously. Yeah, sit calm. Sit, sit down. Sit down. Well, I think he was taking... You know, sit, it's, well, maybe it's that's what he was going for. comedy, not sit-down comedy. I think he's just being a bit of a dick, to be honest. <laughs> anyway, he's probably dead now, and I think we can all be uh, happy about that. There is some justice. Oh, my word. Sorry. <laughs> well, the mortal coil comes to us all. And uh, so... <laughs> It is with uh, it is with this uh, credit sequence that we do get our first look at Crichton, just as the song is saying, "Androids have feelings too." And uh, we cut to Crichton. He's wearing a butler suit, and he looks very, very innocent. Uh, he looks a lot like my granddad, which is uh, lovely. It is nice. Our first look at Crichton with his square-shaped head. And uh, right angles, and his his eyes stand mm-hmm. out quite a lot. David Ross's eyes do. You do get that sense that we know what this episode's going to be all about. It is going to be about Crichton and his feelings. He then eats one of the chocolates. It does have that uh, that element. It to absolutely it. does. And it's uh, with that that we go to scene two and get introduced to the person you all know is going to be the one to hurt Crichton's feelings the most, and that's Rimmer. And so in this scene, uh, we see that Rimmer is failing to uh, succeed at at practicing Esperanto, the uh, global second language, with a video guide. This practicing session doesn't go so well for him, and Lister nonchalantly kind of upstages him. Lister's just there casually polishing his uh, space bike. He's just answering all of these questions so easily. Like the video guide, well, she'll say something in Esperanto and Lister will immediately translate it correctly And while Rimmer ponders for ages. Lister just can't believe how bad Rimmer is at Esperanto and it seems he's been trying to learn it for eight years, uh, which is an astonishing amount of time to not be able to say anything correctly. I hope when you come the weather will be clement. And uh, another another strange thing that the video guide says is, I would like to purchase that orange ball and book it in spade. I think that's, no, that might that's be something what Rimmer, Rimmer says. says. But Rimmer does, uh, you know, complain to Lister, trying to always prove his superiority. He asks Lister how many books Lister has read. And he goes on to specify that he's not talking about books where the main character is a dog <laughs> called Ben. <laughs> he is actually reading a book like that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I noticed it. It really? was like Run, Spot, Run picture book or something in the in the cockpit of the Blue Midget. <laughs> right on. Well, there you go. Uh, well, Lister reveals he went to art college during this. Uh, but he only lasted around 97 minutes because he looked at the timetable once and checked out. 
So Rimmer, as usual, goes on his general spiel about uh, how he has ambitions, unlike Lister, and goes on to say that, unlike Lister, he's not a gimp. It's at this point that Holly interrupts, and uh, he actually interrupts in the same way Lister did, where Rimmer's trying to figure out what the uh, video guide is trying to get him to say in Esperanto, and Holly comes in straight away. Could you send for the hall porter? There appears to be a frog in my B-Day. Is that one of the computers? Oh, sorry, that's the one that... No, that's the one that Rimmer says. (laughs) Makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He he tries to insult Holly, and Holly translates the insult as, could you send for the hall porter? There appears to be a frog in my (laughs) (laughs) B-Day. Oh, dear. Well, Holly's... uh, The reason he's getting in touch with them is because he has detected a signal. Now, Rimmer immediately thinks that this is... Um, aliens, much like he did in Waiting for God. It seems that when it comes to Rimmer, that he does have a very conspiratorial mind. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a good, a good sound Thank there, you. Jace. Thank you. Um, is that X Files? Uh, yes. Yeah. And, um, D D D D. The D files. It was just asking for it, wasn't it? Absolutely. It had to be done. The truth is out there. It absolutely is. Uh, as Mulder proves to us by always being correct in his insane theories every episode. Yeah. It's like if imagine if David Icke uh, was correct in everything he said. We just, you know, it would be weird, wouldn't it? Like all the royal family would be lizards. Uh, Mulder, are you really suggesting that aliens have been stealing our bog roll? Why not? 1947, UFO reports come in, Bogrel disappears. <laughs> that doesn't sound like uh, Mulder whatsoever. Probably more like Ned Flanders, really. Yeah, that does, actually. Or well, Lisa. <laughs> oh, can I just uh, tell you, before before that um, Holly mentioned the um, distress signal, he actually talks about what he'd been doing all morning. And... He fit quite a bit into his morning because he says that he'd been revolutionising music with two new notes, uh, H and J, which makes it a decadive instead of an eight-note octave. So, for example, and he, he gives us this example in the episode, it goes, Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, wo, bo, ti, do, do, ti, bo, wo, la, so far, me Ray Doe. <laughs> it's uh, so this is going to be a new subgenre of rock called a uh, whole rock, and it's going to use bigger instruments such as a four-sided triangle and a zebra-crossing-sized piano. Women will need to be banned from cello. So a cello is like a giant violin, and the way that you play it is you hold it between your legs. So you're sitting with a wide stance and sort of plucking away. Now, imagine a bigger version of that and how wide those legs would need to get. <laughs> now, you, now you've got the crux of the joke. Anyway, as you said, a signal has come in. <laughs> and so we go into scene three. So a uh, cat is looking for a mouse. He's in the... Uh... Suppose within the infrastructure of the Red Dwarf, and he starts attacking the floor with a baseball bat. And uh, it's at this point that Lister and Rimmer walk into the room, and Lister grabs Cat and tells him he's got to follow them because they're 
they've found something, they've got a signal. So Kat does, and uh, you'll notice that with Kat, he spends a lot more time with the crew uh, and with Rimmer and Lister and just hanging yeah. around, which is something we spoke about. I noticed that as well. Yeah, we, we spoke about it in the last episode that Kat uh, in series one just tended to be doing his own thing, but now he does his own thing around everyone else, which is a great plus because it means that we get a lot more Cat jokes. So, yeah. Lister, Rimmer, and the cat go into the deck, and Holly reveals that the uh, signal isn't from aliens, but it's from another human ship, a ship from the Earth. Yeah, it's called from the Nova 5. <laughs> it's called the Nova 5. Uh, and that's the one that we saw Crichton, uh, the robot man, uh, watching androids in. Now, we also find out that uh, this is a good salvage opportunity. Holly says that uh, apparently they actually need some more cow's milk. They ran out ages ago. Lister asks him what kind of milk he's drinking. Well, you've been drinking dog's milk. The benefits of dog's milk, he says, is full of goodness, vitamins, and marrowbone jelly. And it also lasts longer because no bugger will drink it. I thought that was funny. The, it tastes the same off as it does when it's uh, when it's fresh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Lister's just been drinking. He's drinking milk when he gets told this as well. So he's not very happy that Holly didn't tell him. I think this is a very good moment with Holly. I think so too. Uh, everyone's on the ball so far, and it's on this point at this point that Crichton appears um, over the Vidicom, and he explains that he is the service mechanoid aboard Nova Five. They've had an impact and all the male crew are dead. They were dead on impact. Only the female officers who are injured are still around, but they are stable. Well, Kat gets quite excited about this. Before you get on to old Kat, um, they actually show the three ladies who are still alive, Miss Anne, Miss Jane, and Miss Tracy. And they, we actually see them on screen with some of their details, such as height and weight and... Uh, uh, their role on the Nova Five, um, and then we see like a photograph of them all together, and I can swear the one in the middle is David Williams from fucking Little Britain. David Williams, <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, right. yeah. yeah uh, well, I mean, it it obviously isn't, but I I reckon the one in the middle looks so much like a, a man in drag. <laughs> okay. Well, we will uh, we will see. Now it's uh, it's at this point that Cat becomes excited. You know, it sounds like he's probably never seen a female before, so he's, he says, "Females? You mean like soft and squishy?" <laughs> uh, Rimmer, who has to always talk himself up. Well, we'll rescue these blooms unless my name's not Captain AJ Rimmer, space adventurer. Crichton <laughs> uh, thanks him, and uh, Lister confronts Rimmer about this. Um, they're 24 uh, hours away from the ship. Cat comments that uh, he's so excited that all six of his nipples are tingling. And Lister reminds them that they aren't on the pole. Yeah. And uh, immediately cuts to the next scene where he's in his dorm room with funky music preparing to meet Yeah, it's, a, it's almost like a montage sequence of Lister getting ready. It's actually pretty funny. They actually have two montages in this episode. 
So in this first montage, we see Lister getting ready and he's like, um, he's hammering his socks. I'm, I'm assuming to get all the uh, stains off them and decrustify them. And uh, he's also, um, he's got like a massive hole in the back of his black trousers, but uh, they're showing part of his anus. So he decides to take black spray paint and spray over the hole to cover it up. And uh, he's also wearing the old Muggs Murphy shirt, which uh, we find out is one of his least smeggy things. The uh, audience give a huge clap and laughter when he spray paint spray paints these, uh, the hole in his pants black. <laughs> they they love it. They just absolutely love it. They they think it's the best thing ever. Well, they overreact there, but I I would say it is still pretty funny. It is. It is. It was filmed in front of a, a studio audience. So, you know, if you were watching that sat down, um, you probably would have really enjoyed it. Rimmer enters and he's dressed in ceremonial dress. I believe the same outfit he wore to his uh, execution last episode. And he says yeah, to Lister um, that he looks absolutely pathetic. And as you said, it's his less, at least smeggy clothes um, because he only ever wears his nicest clothes, which are basically the shirt that only has two curry stains on it. And uh, Blister says to Rimmer that he looks like Clive of India. Um, fun fact about Clive of India, Alex. Do you know what town he's from? I'm going to say Crew. Market Drayton. Oh, okay, yeah. Market Drayton is uh, where our grandparents live. Please don't go knocking on their door. They won't be able to find them. They don't go on social media. <laughs> uh, I've drained all the fun out of that bit. No, that's um, <laughs> Can I also say something about Rimmer? He's he's also got this tendency to wear this Admiral's uniform. Nowadays, if you wear like uh, military adornments and you've never been in the military, you're considered... And it's a fairly modern term, I think. You're considered a valor thief. It's, it's a term I've heard it in certain videos in America, right? That people have taken. They they speak to the camera and they say, "So I've seen this guy walking around. He's wearing uh, he's wearing army camo, and uh, I'm going to go confront him." He'll go over to this poor guy who's just wearing camo, basically. And it's got like an emblem sewn on the shoulder of, I don't know, like an eagle attacking a mouse. And uh, <laughs> and he'll be like, yeah, what's uh, what regiment were you in? And they'll be like, oh, I was in 5th Platoon. And then he'll be like, yeah, I was in that platoon. You weren't there. And they'll, they'll just basically interrogate them and basically shame them. Uh, it's It's very sad. And it's it's sad on the Valor Thief side, but it's also sad. Just leave them be, man. It's not like they're stealing Valor from somebody else. They're, they're just wearing camo, man. It's Get chill out. Maybe that's how he knew he was a Valor Thief, because he you know was wearing camo, but he could see him. Maybe he stole the Valor from the guy with the camera. Maybe uh, Valor is much like the base basketball powers from Space Jam. And his confidence. If you wear the suit of a marine commando, if you wear David Goggins' fucking admiral uh, colonel uniform, then you steal all of his physical prowess. 
Well, that's what happened with Napoleon. Uh, Duke of Wellington wore blue for a change and, and put a few, uh, you know, cushions <laughs> underneath his shirt and Napoleon just couldn't, couldn't stand it. He just spent the whole Battle of Waterloo in his, uh, in his tent and refused to come out. Well, if that's true, then Rimmer has posthumously um, been draining uh, Napoleon Bonaparte's legacy for mm. aeons. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> or Clive of India. Uh, so uh, Rimmer complains to Lister. He always puts him down when gills are around. That really needs to be a song title, doesn't it? You always put me down when the gills are around. It's pretty good. Um, but Rimmer asks Lister not to put him down this time. Well, one way he can do this is by Lister calling him something different. Um, Not calling him Rimmer because he puts the emphasis on the rim and makes him sound like a lavatory disinfectant. It really does. Rimmer. Rimmer. He asks uh, Lister if he can call him his old childhood nickname. Uh, Well, firstly, he asks if he can call him Big Man instead of Bonehead. And uh, (laughs) Rimmer goes on to say that his childhood nickname was Ace. And he'd like Lister to call him Ace. Um, now, of course, Lister says that no one ever yeah, called him Ace. I'd... And uh, poor Rimmer says, well, even though he let everyone beat them up, they never used his name, which is very sad. So Rimmer also asks Lister if he can say that he was brave and uh, hints to the fact that he had tons of girlfriends as well. <laughs> I feel like that last bit gets rid of any sympathy you have yeah. for Rimmer when he's talking um, about being beaten up as a child. In a lot of ways. Oh yeah. Well yeah, that's true. Um, there is another thing that makes Rimmer a bit hypocritical here is um he, he talks about not letting Lister um put him down in front of the, the women. But he then proceeds to try and get Lister to wear some orange moon boots. And he says those orange moon boots, you know, they're very striking. I would say that they're your best boots, Lister. So he gets him to try and wear those. They're really smelly, and apparently they set off the chemical alarm once. Apparently they smelt like an orangutan's posing pouch, which I'd assume was to attract a mate for an orangutan. Not a human, though, I don't think. So... Rimmer's basically putting Lister down here. Pretty much. He's trying to uh, convince him to do something that he knows will make Lister uh, more attractive, sorry, <laughs> less attractive to uh, the women on the um, on the night of five. Yeah. And uh, it is in scene five that we finally get to see these women because Crichton is cleaning the Nova five. It's a very homely spaceship. And uh, as he's walking around the table that he's set for the visitors, we realise that Jane, Tracy, and Anne are basically all skeletons wearing wigs. Uh, they must have died a very long time ago, but Crichton still acts like they're alive. He puts lipstick on them as they sit at the table. When one of them falls into the soup, he picks them up and says they mustn't eat that way. And, uh, well, <laughs> it does seem that the uh, dwarfers are about to have the shock of their lives. Quite horrendous, really, isn't it? I, I, I've got no idea why Crichton can't seem to understand that they're dead even though all the male officers died but it is kind of funny so i'll let that uh, inconsistency slide i mean he is essentially looking at their bones that are dressed in in officers uniforms they're all dressed like uh what's the name from the teenage minute ninja turtles april 
aren't they? April. Like jumpsuits. Oh, yeah, yeah. I Yeah, but with hats. With hats, yeah. Quite official so, uh, looking. Well, they're officers. They, they are officers. They probably outrank uh, Rimmer and Lister significantly. Even with all the valor. Even with all that valor. Woo-wee. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Um, so, <laughs> Lister is uh, on the Blue Midget, the first time we see the Blue Midget, and the first time we get off Red Dwarf um, in six episodes. It's the very first time that we go somewhere that isn't the Red Dwarf, and Rimmer is at the back looking at Lister's moon boots and pretending that, he, well, he's trying not to smell them, which is a bit strange because he is a... He's a hologram, isn't he? So yeah, I noticed it, and I I almost didn't write it down because I thought it's like we were saying in the first series with that guy who complained about stasis energy usage. Um, mm. It's like if you start now, you know, where's it going to end? <laughs> yeah, it won't stop. It won't, and and I think we can all agree that you can uh, you can look at a picture of a lemon and taste a lemon. So, yeah, that's true. You can actually see the um, the odor coming out of Rimmer's, uh, not Rimmer's, uh, Lister's moon boots. They they do look pretty foul. It's just like when you go to a public toilet and the cubicles, uh, you know, like you know, police line up, and each one's worse than the other. And you shut off your nose, but you only have to see what's in there to know <laughs> what it smells like. <laughs> it's just like yeah that, you know? so, so like Rimmer's cringing as well like uh, as as he looks at these boots and th- smells them and he's like pretending that he can't smell them so then he doesn't clue uh, Lister in to the fact that he gave him shit advice and uh, it's at this point that Holly jumps onto the Blue Midget's uh, communication uh, hole I don't know what you call it communication screen you did forget one thing Oh yeah, out. we forgot the biggest the biggest thing. The cat comes out with a golden spacesuit and it's absolutely fabulous, darling. It looks like Flash Gordon crossed with a Power Ranger. You know, he's just like yowling and um and skadoodling his way through the landing dock um towards the blue midget, which is a little vessel that I suppose that they use it for salvage missions and shit. We haven't seen it yet, so this is the first time we've seen the Blue Midget. We also seen, I think, is it the first example of bad green screen? Uh, yeah, I think it is, uh, but you can't you can't fault it because even though it's it's bad green screen, it's the BBC in the eighties, mm. and the actual miniature work and design is brilliant. You know, it's, yeah, it is. it's above and beyond, I think anything else that was probably on British or made in Britain at the time. That was sci-fi. Um, now I, I will say this, I was technically dead at the time because I wasn't alive when this came out. So I don't actually have anything else on TV to go off. Are you dead if you haven't been born yet or do you just not exist yet? Well, we're already forty-five minutes into the episode, Al. If we, if we get into get into, it's a great suit. Let's uh, let's let it go. Yeah. Um, so Holly uh, jumps right. on the communication screen, wearing a toupee, excellent, and uh, you know, trying to look 
look flash and Rima asks, what's wrong with everyone, you know? So now he's doing what Lister was doing earlier on. And uh, at this point, Holly reveals that Rima is wearing two pairs of socks, uh, one on his feet and one in his trousers. It's obviously meant to be a dick extension, isn't it? A pretty well, He's going for the old Henry VIII uh, codpiece sort of thing, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so nice. that's that's if Holly yeah. is telling the truth because he might not be. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard to tell with Holly sometimes. Well, judging by Rimmer's response to the uh, reveal, Rimmer should know better. He is doing that. Everyone's a hypocrite in this episode. Yeah, but Rimmer has to ask Holly to dress him. So he would have asked that's Holly true. to put a pair of socks in his trousers. <laughs> and he'd expect right, Holly well, yeah. not to mention this. Now who's splitting hairs? Touche or toupee? Blue Midget takes off into space to reach the Nova 5. I kind of laugh here when we see the Blue Midget take off because if you if you pause it, uh, you can kind of make out three characters in the windshield but they look like still images of Lister, Rimmer, and maybe the cat or someone. But it just <laughs> looks silly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, gonna to have to rewatch that, but I can imagine it. It made me laugh. Anyway, um, scene seven, if you can call it that. Crichton welcomes them uh, onto the Nova 5, and Cat sees his reflection in, the, in one of the mirrors in the corridor. And he's like, uh, I'm going to need your help, bud. Because he can't look away from his reflection. He's so um, turned on by his own <laughs> appearance. It's like Narcissus. Not, yeah, Narcissus. Um, yeah, Lister starts pulling him away by the leg. <laughs> um, so this is uh, this is very Golden Age era of Red Dwarf Cat. Uh, that, at that point, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the cat as I like him. You know. I love the first thing Rimmer says to Crichton. Reminds me of my first command, which is totally something Rimmer would say if he's trying to talk <laughs> himself up. Yeah, another thing he keeps doing is um, saying Charmita, Charmita, which I, I suppose is meant to mean charming in Esperanto. It's, it's very much the enchante, madame. And actually, like Crichton starts speaking Esperanto to Rimmer, obviously impressed with his language skills, so Rimmer just kind of like goes back to talking normally, <laughs> so he doesn't have to use anymore. And uh, it's here that Crichton reveals the crew of the Nova 5 are skele- uh, skeletons. And of course, uh, Rimmer, who's taken a huge bow as he's walked in. Another and, cavalier, uh, Charmita! <laughs> and then, like, yeah, just pans out, fucking all, all of the crew are dead. And Lister comments, well, it's a bit difficult to know what to say, isn't it, Ace? <laughs> Lister jokes that the blonde one is giving Rimmer the eye, and a cat uh, goes up to the Tracy skeleton and, and says, Hi, baby. So he doesn't seem to, I think, to have noticed that they're all dead. And, uh, you know, he complains He complains to Rimmer and Lister to be nicer because they, they're just a bit on the skinny side. <laughs> so... Yeah. Quite nice from Cat, I suppose. He's he's trying to talk the the ladies up, but they are dead. And you know, as someone who eats fish, and we've seen fish skeletons with the cat, he should know what a skeleton is as well. 
He has um, also tried to uh, have sex with Lister's unconscious body before. Uh, we saw that in yes. series one. So it's it's not out of character. And, uh, well, of course, Lister is trying to make uh, Ace as embarrassed as possible. And he, he tells the skeletons, listen, girls, uh, I don't know if this is the time, but my mate Ace is incredibly, incredibly brave. And he's had lots of girlfriends. And Rimmer says to him, smeg off dog food face. <laughs> we get a great exchange next as Crichton returns into the dining room with a teapot. And he, he's a little bit confused as to why everyone's so quiet. So he asks them, you know, what's wrong? And Rimmer reveals to him that the crew is dead. Now, Crichton is in disbelief. And uh, it's, it's brilliant what he says. He's like, dead? I was only gone away two minutes. <laughs> Rimmer reveals that they've been dead for centuries, which uh, I'm sure is just a slip of the tongue there, because that would imply that uh, Lister hasn't been the last human for millions of years. Yeah, he says they've got less meat on them than a chicken McNugget. Um, did you notice that they'd edited out the word Mac before Nugget, so then they didn't get copyright or some shit? Can I say McNugget? No, you can't, because, you know, it's... You know what McDonald's is like, you know? It's not allowed. Their lawyers, they'll, they'll hunt us down. They'll, oh, yeah. You know, they're lawyers, man. There'll be less meat on us than a chicken McNugget if we're not careful. Oh, they would do that. I've heard things. I've got stories. I feel bad for Crichton. He's in disbelief that the crew he's been serving for so long has been dead. He says he's programmed to serve them. What is he going to do? Lister recommends that first he should bury them. And so we cut to uh, scene eight. We're inside the Blue Midget again. They take Crichton back on the Blue Midget. So they haven't just left him there. Crichton asks them if they can go back for the girls and Lister tells him, you know, he needs to forget about them and start a new life now. Once again, we get this, uh, I serve, therefore I am. A little bit like the talky toaster, that. That is my purpose, to serve and have no regard to myself. To which Lister replies that he's beginning to sound a lot like his mum, which I suppose is later on one of the roles that Crichton does seem to... uh, (laughs) to take up. He does, he, <laughs> he does kind of become his mum, doesn't he? Doing his laundry and that. They're a family. Lister tells him he has to work out what he wants to do and stop being everyone's smegging doormat. That's easy for you to say, Mr. David, you're a human. You know, of course, Rimmer has to jump in and say, only just. Only just. But there is a great feeling of, uh, of sadness for Crichton. He's a very sympathetic character compared to all the other aliens and robots and other things that will pop up down the track. This might be one of the only times where they meet someone who is entirely sympathetic. Yes. Uh, actually, no, scratch that. I forgot about Camille and all the others. <laughs> yeah, there, but there are more. <laughs> it's great that they've decided that the first proper, I suppose, new being who isn't a figment of someone's imagination that they see, uh, they've gone for a sympathetic you know, uh, route rather than monster of the week sort of thing. Hmm. Well, this, they haven't even really done a proper monster of the week, have they? Exactly. Um, yeah. And uh, we all know who the real monster is, Rimmer. <laughs> and uh, we see this, actually, in the very next scene. Bloody Crichton is just, you know, walking around on Red Dwarf, nothing to do. Uh, Rimmer approaches him and he uh, gives Crichton a massive mountain of chores that Crichton agrees to um, to carry out. 
And we get another montage. This is the second montage of the episode. Uh, it runs to some classical music as uh, we see Crichton scrubbing the decks, peeling the spuds. He even polishes a scutter after <laughs> attacking it. <laughs> it looks like he puts two of his fingers in its eyes or eye sockets or whatever he has, and then he polishes it. The, the way the scutter's reacting is like Crichton's trying to clean a cat. Or something. <laughs> like he's got to hold it back. And, yeah. You know, it's attacking him. <laughs> hold it still, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's real funny, uh, actually. Scene nine. Lister enters his own dormitory and he sees that Crichton has made it look like a bit of a Barbie doll house. Um, it's got drapery everywhere, dainty curtains, uh, pot plants hanging and uh, polished wooden furniture. No idea where he got that from, but never mind. It, it all looks very camp and fruity, if I can be, if I can use those it's words. very much a grandma's house. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a granny flat or something. Um, Lister is amazed that his boxer shorts fold. And yeah, like, honestly, I, there were times when I was growing up when my boxer shorts would like sort of hold their position and you, you could barely bend them you know because uh, they were just covered in all sorts of stuff <laughs> i won't go into what but um it's the kind of thing that yeah lister uh still has i i wash mine now but yeah this is because Crichton's doing the laundry so like lister's amazed you know it's, my these are my boxer shorts they bend lister complains that Crichton threw out his cup of mold which he, he'd called it Albert, and he was growing it to piss Rimmer off. And um, and he says to Crichton, you know, you should have left it, you know, because pissing Rimmer off basically is what he lives to do. Uh, and it really keeps him sane. And this comes back to that old question of, was it a good idea to have Rimmer as um, Lister's companion to bring back for, for holographic um, projection unit and yeah i think it it really does absolutely the answer is always yes absolutely uh, the two of them from here they have a really a really lovely conversation so lister he's trying to talk to Crichton because Crichton's saying that serving makes him happy and lister asks him you know he must have something that he looks forward to and it's here that Crichton uh, says that he looks forward to androids which is a a soap opera that lister recognizes so that does raise a couple of questions again about when in history the Nova 5 appears and, you know, was Crichton built around the same time Lister was on Earth or mm. are they just watching reruns of androids over and over again? Yeah, could be. That would explain uh, maybe they're actually watching reruns on like tape decks or, or something. It would make sense, wouldn't it? Um, like, because they, surely they're not broadcasting, right? Well, they couldn't be because... They wouldn't be broadcasting anymore. They they shouldn't be anyway. Um, but, you know, Crying says that androids for half an hour a week, he can forget that he's him. And the other thing he enjoys is being asleep. At first, Lister sort of jokes about this, about sort of sarcastically says that Crichton sounds like he's living an amazing life, but then Crichton says that he gets strange thoughts in his sleep. And uh, Lister confirms that, you know, it sounds like Crichton is dreaming. I know I sort of ruined this quote by doing a Dan Carlin impression before, but uh, it's one of the best 
thinks it's said in the episode and, and really drives home the point about Crichton's character. The dream that he enjoys the most is a dream where he's in a garden. It's in a garden and he's never actually seen a garden before and he's planted everything to make it grow. And it's just him in this garden and all the things he made live. Now, Crichton thinks that this is a silly dream, but Lister says it isn't. He should go and find a planet and do it. I, I really I really like this dialogue about the dream. Is uh, It's an interesting sci-fi concept, uh, you know, the whole idea of mechanicals being able to um, have dreams and proper thoughts. The fact that he's having dreams in the same sense that a human might have a dream is an indicator that he's also potentially uh, has free will his programming could possibly be overrided overrided and as we see this is something that's gonna gonna be a main thing about Crichton in future episodes and also in this episode to a degree can Crichton break his programming and become someone with his own will to carry out his own desires rather than just serve uh, endlessly i i agree with you i think that you know, thinking about Crichton dreaming and the fact that what he's dreaming about is such a, it's like a positive dream about having some control as well. Like he's the one who's giving life. He's not serving anymore, but he sort of is at the same time. Mm. Like to grow a garden, he has to tend to it. He has to let it grow. And um, that's one thing I was going to mention before. And again, like I'm trying my best not to jump to future episodes, but I don't think that Crichton was treated as a slave on the Nova 5. And the reason I'm saying that is because later on, and I hate to do it, but we do see that the people there gave him a birthday party. So they obviously cared about him. Um, And that's probably why he couldn't give up on Tracy, Joan. Was it Joan? (laughs) Tracy, Jane, and Anne. No, I, I've got their names, uh, Tracy, Jane, and Anne. Yes, Tracy, Jane, and Anne. That's probably why he couldn't give them up or accept that they were dead because he wanted to serve them and, and maybe they treated him far better than he's being treated mm. at the moment by Rimmer. Because Crichton, yeah. he says that he has to serve. He gets into a bit of a panic here and that might be because Lister's pushing his programming a little bit. But also Lister is yeah. sort of giving him a an order here as well but that order is to have free will that he should find a planet and should he should go and make a garden but Crichton says that he has to serve and Rimmer has given him a list of tasks and Lister is absolutely shocked by the amount of jobs Rimmer has given to Crichton it's a it's one of those jokingly long lists that you see in cartoons and like it's it's ridiculous it's like a Christmas time receipt from Amargos <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's just like an Argos receipt. And, uh, you know, at this, you know, Lister, he's actually very pissed off. Sorry, he was calling him or Master Arnold (laughs) or something like that, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Lister says he shouldn't call him that. Um, His real name's Rimmer, or he can call him Smeghead or Bonehead or Molecule Mind. And then he very seriously says to Crichton that he can also call him Arsehole. And you can tell for, from the way Lister's saying it that he's generally disgusted in yeah. Rimmer. Yeah, like 100%. It's almost like it's the worst thing he's done. Oh, well. All the horrible things he's done. <laughs> it's, it's up there. It's up there. Definitely up there. And we'll see, like, um, in the next scene, actually. And it's 
One of the reasons I love this scene coming up is because of the way Rimmer acts so smug and kind of evil. He's like an evil politician who's just got everyone to do his bidding. You know, he's, he's like an evil Pol Pot or something. Not that Pol Pot wasn't evil. He was very evil. Moving on. He's <laughs> <laughs> like an evil Adolf Hitler. Uh, Who could imagine oh, it? Nice. Yeah. Just one of the worst people in uh, the 20th <laughs> century. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so moving on to, to the final scene. I believe it's the final scene. Um, so everyone's in the dorm. And actually, we, we may as well mark this straight away. This is probably one of the first times we see everyone Mm. all together in the same room because we'll be seeing this a lot more in future it just struck me um you know like we're all in this room like normally in series one it's like you've got lister and rimmer in the room or lister and cat but you never got all characters in at the same time in those days it's just good to see everyone in the same room like it's such a weird thing to be glad to see but yeah it's going to be the norm Crichton is there painting a portrait of Mr. Arnold as as Rimmer poses in his admiral's uniform. And he's sort of just sitting there with this smug look on his face. He's got Crichton painting him like he's aristocracy or something. Cat's standing off to the side watching and eating a bowl of cereal. Or No, it's not cereal, sorry. It's tomato soup. I was wondering if it could possibly be uh, gazpacho. Could be. That'll be a funny thing to pour on Rimmer's bed. That would add a sinister angle to it, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would a little bit. Because, yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, Lister's, like, watching fucking Crichton uh, painting this portrait. He hasn't seen what the Patriot looks like yet. And he's just really annoyed. He's sort of, like, mocking Crichton. Oh, yes, Mr. Arnold, sir. You know, you're a total Gwenlin, as I said. The term Gwenlin, talking about the guy who originally refused to commission Red Dwarf. It's a swear word in the future in Red Dwarf. Oh, right. I thought he no, called him no, a Gwenlin. He, he calls Crichton a Gwenlin. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. 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 And that name, by the way, it's a, it's a Welsh oh, name. Right. So okay. well, that a, makes a lot it kind of sounds funny, but it's, it's a Welsh name. So he kind of like mocks Crichton for being so subservient to Rimmer. Rimmer tells Lister... Leave it alone. It enjoys the tasks I give it. It makes it happy. He's like, drop dead, Rimmer. Already have done. Encore. (laughs) That was a pretty funny exchange. (laughs) I love the cats, uh, what the cat says after this. You never get a cat to be a servant. You ever see a cat return a stick? Hey, man, you threw the stick. You do get it. (laughs) It's yourself. I'm busy. If you wanted that stick so bad, why'd you throw it in the <laughs> yeah. first place? Very observant. Um, <laughs> Lister says, Crichton never got anything from the movies that he showed him before. Rimmer questions, well, what movies did you show him? Crichton says, Mr. Lister was kind enough to show me Rebel Without a Cause, Easy Rider and The Wild Ones. Lister was showing him these movies to get him to rebel. Lister's about to give up on Crichton here. He's like, you know, we were watching Marlon Brando's speech 
in that famous scene where he, just as he was about to get started on the speech, Crichton started brushing up his uh, lapels, you know. It's pretty funny. So yeah, Lister's about to give up and Rimmer says, it's uh, the natural order of things. Some give orders, and he does a little eyebrow raise as he says this, and others obey. This is the way it is and the way it always has been. He says it very much like sheer calm. He does a bit, yeah. Isn't that true, Crichton? Oh yes, Mister Arnold, sir. It's uh, it's so good. He's so evil in this scene, Rimmer. It's it's sort of like this power that he's got over Crichton has completely gone to his head. Oh man, he's on a power trip. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's uh, and he's still wearing his ceremonial dress as well, which makes it all. <laughs> But this is another reason this is an excellent scene is that because of uh, Rimmer's just, you know, he's on this complete power trip (laughs) and he sounds so evil that this next part um, really just, it's excellent. We're so pleased when this happens because Rimmer is begging to be put down a peg and boy does that happen because finally Crichton says ah I've finished the painting Mr Rimmer very good Crichton let's have a look and he goes over and he looks at the portrait and it shows Rimmer in his admiral's uniform but he's sitting on the toilet with his pants down and uh, holding a, a tube of bog roll and he's shaking with rage. I think it's rather good. Don't you, Mr. Arnold, sir? And he kind of he kind of says it with this mocking tone as well. He says, I think it's rather good, don't you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Crichton goes full Marlon Brando here. Rimmer says to him, what is the meaning of this? Why have you done this? And he goes, what do you got, eh? Dinosaur breath, my whole mind, smeg for brains. (laughs) He picks up the tomato soup and pours it all over River's uh, bed. And Lister and the cat are loving this. They oh, the cat—he's he get the cat gives him a high five and everything. He's absolutely loving Rimmer's <laughs> getting his comeuppance. Uh, <laughs> Crichton, I, I love the way this whole thing starts. Like the little, uh, like what are you doing? I am. Um, I think I am uh, rebelling. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, it's so funny. Crichton goes over the list and he says, "Can I borrow your space bike?" <laughs> like. Gives him a high five, gives him the keys to the space bike. And then Crichton swaggers off. uh, And just before he leaves, he turns around and he flips Rimmer the bird. And he goes, swivel on it, punk. It's so good. Obviously, Rimmer's astonished and just shaking with disbelief and rage. Our Our last little... Clip is Crichton decked out in metal studded in a metal studded leather jacket, cap and gloves, climbing onto Lister's space bike, sticking out his jaw defiantly and revving the motor. And uh, yeah. there is a, I believe it's a deleted scene that was just a little bit longer that showed him on the bike and leaving. But uh, 
that's the last that we will see of uh, Lister's space bike. And uh, it's unfortunately the last that we'll see of Crichton for five episodes. Uh, but it is the last we'll see of David Ross until his eventual return as Talky Toaster in Series 5. Well, the voice of Talky Toaster is not a man in a toaster costume, Jace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Anyway, um, oh, what did you think of the episode, Jace? Uh, look, I think it was the best one ever so far. It's so much better than... You know, like Me Squared was my favourite one from Series 1. Um, yeah. And everything's better in this. Like, the sets are so much better. Characters are so much better. The cat is actually used the way that the cat probably should be used if they're going to have him as just an outside source of humour who's there but not actively involved. He's always around, and he it's, he's still as funny as ever. Lister and Rimmer, they're used perfectly, I think. And the the funny thing is that series one, I think, was far more it's far more talky. And not in a toaster hmm. sort of way. You know, there was a lot more dialogue, I think, in the first series. Um, but this episode here, there seems to be less, but it's saying more. Yeah. And it's saying it in a way that's a bit more palatable as well. E- economy um, of words. I loved it. And Crichton uh, is a brilliant character as well. If Crichton had never come back into the show, you know, this would really be one of those episodes, I think, that, I don't know, I don't know, he'd be a character that people would have missed, if that makes sense. He's he's a great character, even though he's... I think so too. His whole story is so, he, he's such a sympathetic character, and you really do root for him throughout the episode as well. And, you know, when Rinner does what he mm. does to Crichton, like, he's a real... Real nasty character, Rimmer, to Crichton. Like, he's basically got this grieving robot. Yeah, you could say, if you want to be mega polite about it, he's a massive arsehole. He's a huge arsehole for what he's done. He's got a grieving robot, and he knows that this robot's, you know, programmed to serve, and he's just taking advantage of it. So, you know what? Crichton gets a big big win here for sticking it to Rimmer, giving him a taste of his own medicine, and that last shot, it's sorry. It's almost a condensed version of the whole break in your programming arc that Crichton will go through later. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, in one episode, Crichton proves that, uh, androids have feelings too. There you go. Androids. Yeah. But he's not Australian. <laughs> yeah. But that, well, we won't deduct points for that. Not necessarily. Not that we're actually grading. No, I don't think we can fairly grade Crichton at this point. We can only really grade the plot and the writing. So it's the same scale that we had for Series 1. Al, I will tell you what my scores are, and you can tell me if you agree with my deduction. Yeah, sure. All right, so use of lifts, uh, uses list. (laughs) (laughs) I messed that up. Use of use of lift you <laughs> use of Lister nine points use of Rimmer nine points use of Cat eight points funniness nine points plot ten early installment charm ten fifty five points. That was uh what was that called? That that show that you just ripped 
get get your own back <laughs> with uh, and it was uh, Dave Benson Phillips yes. who uh, basically puts hundred uh, percent into everything that he does. Oh, he on did. That show. He really did, man. I used to love watching Get Your Own Back. I used to love all those pesky adults who usually were perfectly reasonable. You watch it again and it's like, he makes them do homework. (laughs) And that's enough to torture them by uh, making them go on a slide into some some slime. And uh, also um, do things like very humiliating things like wear this giant uh, helmet with a clown mask on it that you gotta throw balls into. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Well, it's, it's medieval, isn't it? Medieval, it really is. Um, you know something as well, like that slime. They only found out later that because they didn't want to scare the kids. There, there was a slow-acting battery acid in there. Um, so when these parents would yeah. get home, they'd they'd wash their face to get the slime off, and then it was like the movie Poltergeist where the face <laughs> just put that scene. Slowly oh, fall oh, off, so and then just be a skeleton. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, like Dave Benson Phillips is just like counting his money. Well, you know, once, uh, once you know, it all came to light, as we know by the hefty prison sentence, the state got their own back. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, actually, that whole that probably went over most people's heads, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe, we'll see. maybe some we'll of the see. UK listeners will know, get your own back. Did you agree with my point breakdown, though? Um, I think your point breakdown was more or less spot on, yeah. It was, uh, what, eight for the cat, nine for Rimmer and Lister. Nine for funniness, ten for the plot, and ten for early instalment charm. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I do agree. Actually, it's pretty much spot on. Uh, it's as charming as it could be for the first, uh, sorry, second series. Crichton didn't get a score because he's not a full character yet. So to plot, I'll give that a 10. Not too complicated, very easy to follow, well paced, and it's just really well written. So there we go. We basically agreed. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, yeah, if I were to give a use of Crichton, Crichton is the star of the episode, really. And, yeah. But really, it's the whole of Series 2. Um, I, well, we haven't seen the whole of it yet, but this is just above and beyond everything in Series 1. It's Pretty so much. much better. It's so much easier to watch. Um, everything's been improved. The, the lack of grey is a great thing. Yeah, it's it's easier on the eyes. Yeah, it's it's way yeah. It's so much more colourful. I love. Uh, we didn't really mention it, but I think it deserves special mention. Uh, the last scene, I really love what the cat's wearing uh, while he's eating the sort oh, of the eighties like, style. <laughs> yeah, shirt. sort of like Rugrats, sort of squiggles and bars. I don't know what it's called, but. Uh, <laughs> It just, he pulls it off, looks awesome. A uh, bit more casual than what he usually wears as well. But just because you're dressed casually doesn't mean you can't look amazing. He already had the spacesuit. He did. But you know what? He was great. He was, yeah. 
There's actually a lot of best jokes in this one. Um, I actually don't think there's an unfunny joke. Yeah. No, that, that's that's what got me is it was um, in series one, I felt like there were just a few that were a bit, uh, they dragged on and, and the payoff wasn't great or it was, um, you know, just seemed out of character or something, you know, like, but in this episode, first episode of series two, it's just a lot cleaner. Everyone fits perfectly and it all contributes to the overall episode. You know, there was no bad joke dragging it down or like, and they fit two mo- montages in and yet the whole thing just seems nicely paced and smooth yeah. all the way through. It's amazing, really. It's it's just a, it's a perfect episode in a lot of ways. And I know I say that despite the fact yeah. that it's down five points uh, from being the top of the scale, but mm. it is perfect. It's There's nothing wrong with it. Um, the only, if I had to pick a worse joke, it would probably just be, and just because it's a little bit obvious, when Crichton says to Lister, that's easy for you to say, you're a human. And then Rimmer says, only just. That's probably, it's just because it's a bit obvious. That's it. Still funny. I don't, I don't think a worse joke even really works as a factor in this episode. No, it just, it's... It's you can good. have it's... technically the worst joke in a really good episode, but if it's paced so well that you don't even factor it in, that it's just like, yeah, you can let that go completely. And There's no formalistry here. There's nothing that just lingers with you. And and we went three episodes without mentioning formalistry. Yeah. There's no food escape either. There's no, uh, well, there's sort of there is, there is with sort of Holly's toupee, but it's it's better. Than uh, Rimmer's toupee, <laughs> which was built for a man of action. Best jokes actually hard to pick because there are so many really funny ones in this. I do have a favourite moment. It's actually well, I think it's more to do with like the last two scenes, the way they <laughs> they get in the whole uh, mm. break your program in and the dream about the garden, and then they immediately pay it off in the next scene with like an astonishing performance from David Ross Crichton. They, they put that climax in right at the end and it completely upstages Rimmer completes Crichton's arc for the episode. Cause it's a bit of a condensed arc, you know, breaking Crichton's programming is something that will happen multiple times. It'll have lots of, lots of, um, points in future episodes where they'll touch on that and they just kind of summed it all up and wrapped it up nicely yeah. you know at the end it was perfect and that whole scene of him breaking uh his programming and painting rimmer on the toilet and then insulting him to his face and taking the bike that in of itself is probably the funniest moment i oh yeah i agree to be honest. Uh, just that whole scene is brilliant. Yeah, it's not necessarily a best joke. It's more like a best, funniest thing that happened, but it was lovely. What I will say is I was I was expecting to not like David Ross very much as Crichton, but I actually really appreciated his performance. I thought he was really good. The reason he didn't stick around was because he is a theatre actor 
And he had already got commitments to, I think it was either a theater show or another show. And he'd been in uh, multiple things, you know, but Red Dwarf is uh, other than perhaps a spin-off of Only Fools and Horses featuring Boise. Uh, <laughs> really, Red Dwarf is the most uh, successful thing he was in. Why would you make a spin-off of Only Fools and Horses that focuses on Boise? Uh, of all the characters. Yeah, why Boise? Yeah, why Boise? What about, He's, what about a young Trig? Uncle Albert? Is it could the, be a the period, other guy's name? Um, comedy or period drama or something. Could have been set during the war. Yeah. Um, it could be like a mix of Black Adder and Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, it would have been great. By Boise. He's the most. All he does is laugh and go. I don't, think it, I don't think it's a bad choice for a spin off, but it's really weird. It, You know what it's actually. It's called The Green Green Grass, and it's set in a rural, rural village. Which obviously is the opposite of Boise, the businessman type from the city. And it's just him dealing with the locals and shit. And possibly coming to find the charming little rural place, uh, actually, um, despite himself finding joy in that community. I just uh, you know, brought up some pictures of it. Uh, to, to prove it exists, I don't know why Boise is right. dressed as Rupert or close to Rupert the Bear. Sort of, he's wearing like a yellow. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Ivan K, who plays uh, Brian, looks like a bloody wrestler. Oh, look, there we go. David Ross was Elgin Sparrow. He looks like uh, the guy from uh, Heartbeat. <laughs> you know who I mean. Green grass. Yeah, green the green grass. His green name grass. was green grass. Yeah, he there looks like go. green grass. Bloody green grass. Did you even know that that was a period drama? Did you know that? Heartbeat. No, no, I thought it was... Uh... I just thought it was... I always used to think it was just a country police drama. But, I mean, it makes sense because obviously they were all use, you wearing the old Bobby uniforms and you know they didn't have any tv or or anything well they had cars but they were like the old style cars i had no idea i thought it was uh modern i just thought it was modern yeah <laughs> i mean i didn't really oh, well, pay that we didn't watch it to heartbeat it was just something that was in the background and you remember green grass because green grass uh he's a character isn't he he's, he's not hey, well he's a fuck up He's, he's the the village idiot, basically. <laughs> and his name, his actual name is Greengrass. Greengrass. Uh, I'm assuming his, his whole character was he's the village idiot. He, you know, he fucks up, he treads in some cow shit, and then he gets pissed at the local pub and, yeah, sleeps in a bush. Sounds like a great character, actually. If that's what Greengrass is like, I think we've got to start watching Heartbeat. Well, I, I want to see. Maybe there's a best of green grass that we can check before we dedicate ourselves to that. Maybe we can even do a podcast about green grass. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I guess. The green green podcast. Oh, you know that would be a. Um, yeah. People would be going on to that thinking uh, it was like an eco show, and then we're just talking about green grass. Yeah. 
Oh, what's he done now? Fallen it, fallen on a pitchfork. It- oh, I never would have given Greengrass the job of lifting that piano up into the second <laughs> story. What did they think was going to happen? They've done better if they'd got Frank Spencer doing it. Oh no, Greengrass has become the milkman. All of the canisters <laughs> fell on the floor. That Greengrass, eh? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, o- overall, that episode, going back to Red Dwarf, um, was bloody fantastic. Um, I'm really excited to carry on with uh, Red Dwarf Series 2. Um, I looked ahead a little bit and I found out that the next episode is better than life. Ooh. This one is very special because it actually has uh, a novel of the episode that was written uh, by either Rob or Doug, the show creators. Um, And I'm thinking before we record that, I might actually go and read that because I've actually got it. It's part of the Omnibus Mm. book. So I'm going to read that and watch the episode and see if there's any way I can kind of uh, strapped together some kind of comparison. Awesome. Um, yeah. To bring in. Well, you know, keep me in the loop there because obviously reading a book is, you know, the longer tall than watching a TV show. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be one of them books that you can smash out in a week or three. I did actually used to have the, uh, the omnibus and, uh, I remember it being very fun, a uh, good read. I don't have it, unfortunately, anymore. My, uh, partner sort of forced me to do a book purge because I collected so many books yeah. and uh, the Omnibus is one of the ones that went. Yeah, my part, my wife is also not, not too pleased that the entire storage room is head to toe made up of books. Well, I think that probably brings us to the end of uh, the Red the Wolf Shuffle uh, Series 2, Episode 1. Tell me, have we, we had any experience uh, you know, podcasters out there in the wild now. Have we we had anyone uh, contact us at all? Uh, yeah, we've we've had a, a few um, due to some bad advertising. That's partly my fault, partly Facebook's. We have a- accidentally sent um, automated messages to loads of people in America uh, so asking how we could help them, <laughs> and the responses have been varied. Um, <laughs> one of them just said scream uh, today someone responded to our hi how can we help with just a very in- innocuous I'm so fucking sick of this I just clicked the video what does it have to send me this message for <laughs> so there's there's been a, a number of those and it was you know, I do apologize to those people and it wasn't intended. There's absolutely nothing we can help you with. Unfortunately, possibly we could help you uh, have a laugh or maybe you could enjoy this as a supplement to watching Red Dwarf. I'm a bit concerned about the um, the fella telling us to scream. I, I, I feel like he was probably, maybe he's just a big fan of anime or something and he, he loves horror anime because uh, he, his uh, profile picture was like like a basketball kid manga or something. Uh, um, it's quite, it's quite, <laughs> quite creepy, actually. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so 
Alex, uh, you know what I want to say? The smeg lines are open, so feel free to send us an email or send us a message on Facebook, and we will respond to it live in our pre-recorded show. Um, so, Al, is there anything else we need to say about Crichton? Well, it's a shame that we don't get to see him again until another series. So, yeah, um, but I think that was a, a very good episode. I really wasn't expecting to like David Ross as much as I did. So it was very good. Do you prefer David Jason's or David Ross's? Um, well, I mean, are you saying David Jason was in the casting call for the character of Crichton or well, <laughs> or maybe David Ross was going to be Delboy. David Jason as, uh, as Crichton. You Rodney, you absolute plonker. <laughs> and then compared to Mr. Listershire. <laughs> ah, lovely jubbly. Hello, Mr. Rinner. Enchanté, madame. Oh, uh, he's gone a full Australian, Jason. Enchanté, madame. It's yeah, too much Android. Yeah, been watching that Android show, but precisely, <laughs> <laughs> precisely, sirs. <laughs> you drongo. Are you absolutely sure, sir? <laughs> it does mean changing the bulb. <laughs> this is an only circumstance where a, a mechanoid is programmed to be violent. Is this the human emotion you call friendship? (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. We're losing it. We're nearly at two o'clock now, so over here. Well, everyone, it has been a pleasure, not a chore. Thank you for listening to the Red Dwarf Shuffle, and we will return next time with Better Than Life. That's episode two of series two. And remember, don't go around looking for trouble. Just stick around for the Red Dwarf Shuffle. Who's smart? Thank you for listening to the Red Dwarf Shuffle with those awful smegheads, Alex and Jason. You can connect with them on Facebook and Instagram at Red Dwarf Shuffle. You can also send a question, comment, feedback, insult, threat or love letter to Red Dwarf Shuffle at Outlook.com. We love receiving your dribble. See you next time.